Okay, I just I got a question for you. Yeah, go on, sure. I, I I've been reading Treasure Island. Oh yeah. Do you think if I got a boat together, yeah, we could go hunting for gold and actually find it? Be honest. Where were you thinking? I don't know. Like we just go, I don't know, into the channel and just look for gold. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Do you think it would work? Why don't you get a job, Jamie? <laughs> okay, fine. ESPN head in the game. Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Lang, and this is Head in the Game, your essential guide to the big sporting event of the week. It's a chance to get the lowdown from a variety of guests who know a lot more about sport than I apparently do. So, with this weekend's double whammy of duels between England and Wales in the Six Nations, and Man United and Liverpool in the Premier League, this week's episode is, of course, devoted to great sporting rivalries. Alongside me is a man who's no stranger to a bit of rivalry. He's an actor and comedian, after all. It's Mr. Alex Lowe. I hate you. What? Oh, you're very clever. I know what you're doing there. That's very funny. Okay, good. Yeah, but I do hate you. (laughs) Who was your rival at school, Jamie? Oh, Charlie Davies. Oh, yeah, really? Why? There was a girl. I kissed her. He kissed her as well. And it was just, you know what? I liked her. Yeah. He had the cool backpack. He had the cool trousers. You know, he even had that pencil case that, you know, opened up on the side. You probably didn't have pencil cases, did you? No, we had a quill. (laughs) Dipped it in ink. And you carried a satchel. We certainly weren't allowed to kiss anyone without a formal introduction (laughs) from a parent, a guardian, or someone from the local council. Right, there's loads of sporting rivalries for us to explore, of course. Uh, But we are focusing on two epic events this weekend. Man United versus Liverpool and Wales versus England. That's right, and we're delighted to have with us in the studio ESPN senior sports writer Tom Hamilton. Hello, Hello, Tom. Tom. Hello, chaps. Tom, sporting rivalries come in many forms uh, between countries, clubs, individuals, families. And would you agree that these great rivalries are one of the main reasons we love sports so much? I think it's one of those things you grow up with. You always heard these sort of stories about the traditional rivalries. Some of it comes from your parents in terms of sporting rivalries. That is not in terms of rivalry between your parents. Mm. But um, rivalries around sport and it depends on where you grew up. I grew up in Bath. The big rivalry there was actually a rugby one with Gloucester just down the road. So that was sort of thing which you look forward to every single year. And it's there. It's something for you to look forward to. It's normally something which happens outside of sport. Almost a little bit inexplainable, but quite good fun. Uh, now, we're going to talk more later about the weekend's biggest showdowns between Man United and Liverpool and, of course, uh, England versus Wales and the rugby. But first, I wanted to ask you the $64,000 question. Now, we've run a poll to gauge what our listeners think and more of that coming up. But what do you think is the greatest rivalry in sport? Talk about cutting to the chase. It's actually really hard question to deal with. Sorry, Tom. Jamie can get a little bit excited. This is what I have to put up with every single week. Okay, it's, he's like he's like my microphone yeah, but rival. I, I agree. It's a tough question to start with. Perhaps we could split this into different categories: teams, individuals, and countries. So let's start with rivalries between clubs. Which rivalry stands out for you? I think for me, it's probably El Clasico. Watford versus Luton, yeah, I know, yeah. Not quite that one. Uh, no. Barcelona, Real Madrid, the pig's head's been thrown at Figo, the reasons behind it, the money, the sort of the drama, Messi, Ronaldo, it's got it all. But every football club has big rivalries, but it's usually like the local derby, like Arsenal versus Spurs or Newcastle versus Sunderland, isn't it? Yeah, that's still there, I think, though. It's, um, you know, North London derby, everyone gets very excited about that. Uh, the Manchester derby as well, you know, you've got the old firm, you've got Rangers Celtic. It's something still which goes back to those sort of medieval things of wanting to be better than the next village next door to you, I think. Are rivalries as intense when one of those teams is in decline? I'm thinking about Rangers against Celtic. 
when Rangers weren't in the Scottish Premier League, I mean, that rivalry really had to be put on hold. And Scottish football, in my opinion, suffered as a result of it. Look at Arsenal Man United, for example. That boiled over nicely back uh, sort of 10 years ago with Pizzagate and Martin Keown and Van Nistelrooy. And then that was a nice rivalry with Ferguson and Wenger for the next 10 years. That's probably sort of been dialed down a little bit now. But for that time, it was a lot of fun. So you just mentioned their sort of managerial rivalry. What other sorts of reasons are there for team fans to hate each other? Some rivalries might be sporting rivalries for only 100 years, but in terms of a historical background, we'll go back thousands of years. So India-Pakistan is one which is a... One of the great sporting rivalries, but that's more perhaps than just cricket. Those sort of rivalries transcend sport. The two ice skaters. Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. The two of them uh, competing in ice skating for America ended up with, I think, I haven't seen the film, but I've seen the ESPN 30 for 30 on it, where one of them ended up, sort of people around her, ended up caving in the other person's knee. What? Yeah, yeah. It's actually physically damaging them in a rivalry way. Yes, Absolutely. She wouldn't be doing a triple selco with a one knee hanging off. Also, we cannot forget our listeners across the pond, so big up to our American people out there. Um, so we ought to hone in on the great American rivalries. So I'm thinking about Boston Red Sox versus New York Yankees. They really don't get on very well. Back to 1919 when Babe Ruth went to the Yankees. I mean, just last year it sparked up again. Happened in 2003 when a 72-year-old bench coach got thrown to the ground by one of the Red Sox players. It properly kicked off. 2004 was when the Red Sox broke their Babe Ruth curse, which lasted since that 1919 transfer. So that's been a, a nice one. It's coming to London this year. Really? Olympic Stadium in July. Now, rivalries in boxing. There's been a lot of uh, individual rivalries over the years, hasn't there? Muhammad Ali against Joe Frazier. Out of the ring as well, with Ali baiting Frazier over his, his various views. And then, I mean, if you look towards the 80s and 90s, Eubank, Ben, Tyson, Holyfield, he bit the bloke's ear. Yeah. And now, I suppose the greatest boxing rivalry at the moment, probably Pacquiao. Alvarez, maybe? Weirdly, I don't know why I have this. I still have the newspaper cuttings of Tyson biting Holly Field's ear. Any reason for that? No, no, no reason. <laughs> Just have it for some reason, which what, is bizarre. What other cuttings do you have? <laughs> that one and the dropkick. Johnny Wilkinson did it for the World Cup. Those two, biting ear and World Cup glory. Do you think some sportsmen genuinely hate each other, or, you know, particularly in the case of boxing? It's it's all sort of showmanship, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the pantomime now, isn't yeah. it? The pantomime... I mean, the boxing rivalries now seem to be more social media-based. So if, say, one boxer likes a picture of the other boxer's missus on Instagram, then suddenly all hell breaks loose, or someone pokes the wrong person on Facebook if poking's still a thing. But it seems to be a bit more manufactured. But in MMA, for example, there seems to be actual hate there between John Jones and Daniel Cormier. But Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane, they weren't exactly best mates, were they? I think there's a bit of mutual respect there. I think the two of them playing the same sort of position. They did know how to wind each other up. What about Messi and Ronaldo? Do they like each other? I don't know whether football players like each other at all at the moment because they seem to be in their own little bubbles, don't they? So, it's just that big jealousy all the time, isn't there? Yeah, and it's over the Ballon d'Ors. Messi and Ronaldo will still... It's purely subjective who prefers them and the two of them seem to... They never say anything about each other. They just like to sit one seat away from each other. What about your era, Mr Alex Rowe? <laughs> Borg McEnroe. McEnroe was a kind of impetuous, bratty type of... Uh, you cannot be serious! No, I am. He was a bratty sort of <laughs> guy. And, um, yeah, so did they like each other, do you think, Borg and McEnroe? Probably not, to the same extent as Federer and Nadal, but I think they use that rivalry to motivate themselves as well. So if McEnroe can get that hate of being fired before a game, then suddenly he might you know, turn it on a little bit more. Now, just to... I know Jamie was slightly taking the mickey out of me there, but another one from my era was Ko and Ovet. 
And it seemed to me that you would side with Ovet. He was slightly more sort of uh, a maverick kind of person. If you were, you were into sort of... As a classic example, you would have been into Sebastian Coe and I'd have been on the wrong side of the tracks with Steve Ovet. Why would I be into Sebastian Coe? Because he was a sort of pure chariots of fire type. Oh, he was the and popular Steve Ovet one. was... <laughs> See, that was a little bit more rough and ready. <laughs> the underdog. Well, talking of running, one of the big rivalries for me is Bolt Gatland. I mean, incredible, right? Two amazing sprinters. Yeah, and that finished off um, in uh, London, of course, at the World Athletics Championships with Gatland beating Bolt for 100 metres and then Bolt doing his hamstring in the 4x100 as well. So that was almost a, the perfect tragic end, the Hollywood ending to a, a Bolt career, which will make a lovely movie one day. Later, we'll be focusing on this weekend's big games between Man United and Liverpool and Wales versus England. Now, last week, we asked you to vote for your biggest sporting rivalries, and we had a huge response, so thank you very much for that. Uh, so here we go with the top ten sporting rivalries as voted by you. Voice? Yes. Are you ready? Of course. Cue the music. Number ten, Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, the biggest purse in sporting history. Between them, they made over $400 million. Number nine, Prost and Senna. Formula One speed kings clashed on and off the track. Number eight... Boca Juniors and River Plate. It's known as the Super Classico, a rivalry so intense it often leads to rioting and attacks on match officials. Number seven, the 1980 Olympics ice hockey showdown between the United States and the Soviet Union. A one-off clash that produced a dramatic finish, the Americans winning in the last second. Number six, it's the Ashes, England and Australia. One of the longest rivalries in sport goes all the way back to 1882. India-Pakistan was just outside the top ten, by the way. Number five, one of American sports' fiercest rivalries, the Boston Red Sox v. New York Yankees. Famous for the curse of the Bambino when Babe Ruth was sold to the Yankees. Number four, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. The two dominant footballers of the millennium have been competing for the title of best player in the world for over a decade. Number three, Federer and Nadal. Possibly the two greatest players of all time going toe-to-toe. Borg v. McEnroe also got a few votes, as did Chris Evert versus Martina Navratilova. Number two, Celtic v. Rangers. This was almost the winner. The old firm derby, more than just a football match. And number one, Ali versus Frazier. The boxing trilogy that culminated in the thriller in Manila, also known as the fight of the century. And that is your top ten sporting rivalries. I can't believe the Ryder Cup didn't make the list. Hey-ho! Uh, what about the small print voice? Oh, yes. Thanks, everyone, for your contributions. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Head in the Game podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Always read the label. Sorry, that's something else I was doing. Go away now, voice. Right-o. So, Tom, what did you think of that uh, top ten? Any glaring omissions? Well, there's no El Clasico, my favourite sporting rivalry, which unfortunately didn't make the cut. Kasparov against Deep Blue, Jamie Lang against Brad Thorne, there's a few in there. Uh, right then, let's focus on this weekend's big games. Yes, and with us on behalf of the respective teams, we've got writer and broadcaster Neil Atkinson, who hosts one of the most popular Liverpool podcasts, The Anfield Rap, which, this is amazing, according to Wiki, has over, is this right, 28 million downloads worldwide. Oh my lord. And for balance, we must of course get a Manchester United supporter as well. Here's Ed Barker uh, from the United Rant podcast. Okay, so guys, I'm, this, open this up to Neil, first of all. The Liverpool United 
rivalry is unusual because most British clubs' biggest rival tends to be from the same city. Why is this the exception rather than the rule? Well, it sort of isn't. It sort of isn't. There is Everton. Everton do exist. They are a thing. And there is nothing sweeter in the world than spawning a 1-0 win against Everton where the ball bounces off the crossbar after their goalkeeper palms it onto it. <laughs> um, so let's just bear that in mind before we get stuck in here. But United, I mean, it's, this is a rivalry that transcends football, to be quite honest with you. You know, you can route it right the way back to the Ship Canal if you want to. You can go all the way back to the 19th century and the Industrial Revolution. Liverpool and Manchester are two cities that have a lot in common. Two fantastic cities. The two cities of the North of England really at this stage both culturally uh, and economically especially in Manchester's case and that leads to there being a genuine rivalry between the two we want to outdo each other at every possible opportunity and it's fair to say that all the football that matters in England happens between Liverpool and Manchester practically every other achievement by every other club is boring and the country doesn't like it or take it seriously the country cares about Liverpool and Manchester United much more than it cares about Chelsea or Manchester City. Was the big rivalry before Liverpool's success in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, the rivalry was ongoing throughout that period. And, you know, the two sides of there has been that, you know, I mean, football rivalries have changed massively anyway, markedly through, you know, since the 1950s, 60s, the post-war era and so on. But there was a rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester United. You know, they have been the two core clubs of English football, I would argue, broadly speaking, since since World War Two. So that rivalry is there. And that's a thing there for the, the two cities to live through and understand and, and enjoy. I mean, the, the best thing about this, I'll say it again, is that, you know, the world's eyes will be on Old Trafford for this game. There's a cup final the same day and no one cares. The game that matters is Manchester United versus Liverpool. That's the game that matters. It's the game that will always matter. And that's the uh, that's the thing that the rest of the country struggles with. It's why people don't want to see Liverpool or Man United win anything. It's why at the minute there's people in the country who'd rather see Manchester City win the league than Liverpool. If it was Man United up there with Man City instead of us, people would rather see Manchester City win the league than Manchester United. That's the reality of it. There's two clubs that matter and they're the two clubs that face each other at Old Trafford. I almost fully agree with everything Neil said, both in terms of the history and why this fixture matters and, and what it means to Manchester United fans. So uh, it, we're in a weird position of, of uh, rooting City on this season because no one at Old Trafford wants Liverpool to win this league. Uh, and that's really strange. And partly it's because we don't take City that seriously. They weren't a particularly big club before Abu Dhabi came along and gave them millions and millions. The magnitude and the seriousness of the rivalry with Liverpool is real. So that's why we're cheering City on to this fixture. The two biggest fixtures of the season, it's it's what matters to everyone uh, at United and associated with the club. It's, uh, it's the one we really want. And, you know, we're coming to this fixture in good form for once because it's been pretty miserable over the last couple of seasons. I mean, I, I know United won uh, last season, but but uh, the performances earlier this season under Jose Mourinho and last season, to be honest, when United actually started the season well and went to Anfield and parked the bus have been horrible. So now we're playing good football. It should be a real game. As a Manchester United fan, you're actually saying that if it came down to and you were forced to pick, you would pick Man City to win the title over Liverpool. Yeah, I don't, they're not a real club. They don't count. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they look. City wouldn't be uh, anything in a title race without uh, outside money. Uh, we know that all their sponsorships are, uh, you know, highly dubious. 
uh, when they come to report their revenue figures. So, yeah, no one takes them particularly seriously. Liverpool's the one that matters. There's a challenge there, of course, because uh, if City don't count and win the league, does that make Liverpool de facto champions in United fans' minds? No, definitely not. But uh, it's something, you know, we've, we've talked about on, the, on our pod anyway. But uh, yeah, for sure, United fans would rather City won this league. I mean, that's so Neil, I'm going to switch it over to you now. So are there, you heard what Ed said, are there any circumstances where you would support United? Playing Everton, yes. <laughs> that is the United only final against, scenario. United in the cup final against Everton, I'd support Man United. United to win the league against Everton, I'd support Manchester United. You know, if United are facing Everton, um, I mean, most games, if you're not, you know, if United were playing Everton tomorrow, I'd probably be quite tentative. I mean, it depends. I'd probably quite like Everton to get a fortunate victory over United, but if one side had to win 6-0, I'd probably want it to be Manchester United. What about a Champions League final, if United were in a final? Uh, if they were against Everton, yes. <laughs> Well, that's science fiction, that really, isn't it? Let's be honest. But if Manchester United were facing any other football team in a Champions League final, uh, I would almost certainly want the... I can't think of an opponent I wouldn't want to win. I'd want the opponents to win. OK, so how did you react in 1999 when United defeated Bayern? I was absolutely devastated by that turn of events. It meant that United had done the first domestic treble, uh, well, the first treble before we did it. It's worth remembering that the only reason Liverpool don't do the treble in 77 is because United win the cup final. Uh, Liverpool that season won the league in the European Cup and lost the cup final to Manchester United. So it was, yeah, it wasn't great when United did that, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that the miracle of Istanbul did not raise a cheer in Manchester. This is what it means. Football's meant to be tribal and it's meant to be about location and it's meant to be about all those things that are messed up and sometimes there's dark sides to that. Okay, Ed, what about you? What about when Liverpool came back against Milan in 2005? I uh, watched that in a bar uh, in London. I would say 99% of the bar was supporting Liverpool in that one, and I had my head in my hands. So that that wasn't a great moment. But, you know, I guess um, over the last 30 years or so, uh, Liverpool fans have needed the odd bright spot because of course they haven't won the uh, the league in what coming up to 30 years and i'm sure there'll be plenty of people at united celebrating the 30th anniversary when it comes up uh, in may or so okay so ed how about this one uh, if a liverpool player scores for england at the world cup do you celebrate uh, as much as any other player scoring for england yeah, I suppose so. This is an odd one because United fans have a, an odd relationship with England. So I think there have been a number of incidents over the years where United fans kind of felt that the FA hadn't given United a fair you know, shake at things. So uh, you can talk about Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand and a few others. Um, and the, the fact that United is just so much more important to United fans than England. So that context, uh, yeah. Sure. I mean, in the summer, I I, uh, I enjoyed watching England, actually. I, I think that hasn't always been the case in uh, the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, that, that That's actually been a kind of an enjoyable experience and, uh, and the country got along with it. And so I, I don't actually remember off the top of my head where the Liverpool player scored in that in that tournament but i'm sure i would have celebrated it but it's in the context of not really being much of an england fan generally and i think quite a lot of united fans feel like that uh turning to you neil i was really interested about this this rivalry with everton because I've, I've been up there and it's of course it's just across stanley park isn't it the derby against everton is known as the friendly derby uh, you didn't sound particularly friendly when you were talking about them just now. That's another unusual phenomenon in football. Why is there less animosity between those two clubs in Liverpool? There was a period of time where that was the case. Circumstances have changed a little bit. There's still the idea that Liverpool is a city that thrives upon solidarity. And I think that that's the case. And I think that Liverpool would 
would and does come together in times of need and crisis and that's an ongoing thing and there's wonderful work done for instance around the food banks between the two clubs which is looked after by Liverpool and Everton supporters together uh, and I think it's you know and, and collections are made for North Liverpool where both clubs are, are situated so I think that that remains true but the derby itself derby day itself and everything that goes on around the Merseyside derby I don't believe it to be any more or less friendly than for instance the East Anglian derby or for instance the Potteries derby uh, I don't think that that's you know that's any longer the case and I, I don't think that you can quite you know I don't think it quite stands up anymore um, there's tons of reasons for that Liverpool as a city will still stand together but it'll do and it'll still do so in the context of football but that isn't exactly the same as acting as though we all skip along the road together yeah. before the derby and skip along, along the road together afterwards that is most definitely not true Let's go back to the reason why we're all here this uh, weekend's game now uh, there's a lot riding on this Ed Liverpool have never won a Premier League title. Uh, they've had a few chances in recent years. United can't win the league, right? There's a huge opportunity to stop the rivals again. It's pretty tasty, isn't it? Oh, it's, all, look, it's always tasty. I guess when Jose was United manager, he did his very, very best to not make the games very tasty. Uh, but he's gone now and, and we can look forward not to, not just to the game and the context of the title race, and yes, United can't win. Well, you know, oh, I don't know. Maybe we'll win every game from here on in, but it seems still won't be unlike- enough. Still wouldn't be enough, no. Um, but uh, and and yes, you know, can put a dent in Liverpool's hopes, uh, and that all matters. But we're actually going to uh, enjoy watching this United team again, and and I can't tell you how much. Uh, how important that is. Uh, um, the producer of Rankcast, Tom, said today, you know, it's all right talking about goals and passing metrics and XG and stuff like that. But the only thing that matters is XB, expected buzz, because people care about the football again. Uh, you know, Jose was a dark, really dark cloud hanging over United. And it was a joyous occasion when he was fired. Mm-hmm. And we've got uh, we've got a United manager who was a former player and a hero, we talked about 99 earlier, um, who's, who's immediately turned the team around, not, into, not just winning games, but winning by playing really good, exciting football. It gets people off their feet. So, you know, there's, it's the context of the title race. It's the rivalry with Liverpool. And it's the fact we're actually playing good football again. So all of that matters. OK, Neil, much has been made of Liverpool being bottlers. Uh, I've been listening to Klopp recently and he did have a slight whiff of the old Keegan, I would love it. This is a chance to prove the doubters wrong, isn't it? I'd just absolutely argue with the premise of the question in the first place. I think that Klopp's attitude towards all of this all the way through the season has been that it's a sporting contest and that there's 38 games and you've got to get as many points as you can throughout them. And he's been very consistent on that theme. Um, and, you know, I genuinely do argue with that, with the premise of that. And I don't think this Liverpool side has anything to prove. I don't think the Manchester City side has anything to prove. And I don't think Tottenham have got anything to prove. These are three of the best sides that have ever played Premier League football. The Manchester City side could be the best side ever to play Premier League football. There's every chance they finish this season with 190 uh, having got 190 points from the last 76 league games averaging 295 point seasons that's that's what they're probably going to do the idea that what we're going to do is we're going to reduce this title battle into some sort of notion around bottlers or frauds is frankly disgusting and it doesn't speak to the, the, the ability that these footballers have shown on the pitch so far this season so no one's got anything to prove in that these are three sides who right now are going at a rate of knots in terms of number of points that has been so rarely seen throughout the whole 
all of top flight English football history going right the way back to the 19th century. So I think it's important to say that and it's important to frame that. If Liverpool don't beat Manchester United, and I think they will, by the way, but if they don't, it won't be because someone's bottled it or something's gone, you know, someone's been proven not to be anywhere near as good as we thought. It'll be because this is a really good Man United side who were able to take three points off Liverpool. And I think that that's, I think that the sooner we get that sort of language out to discussing our elite sports people, the better, to be honest with you, and we show them the requisite respect that they deserve. Yeah, chickens. Jamie. <laughs> yes, Neil. Uh, what about the game itself? Now, uh, the last time you won at Old Trafford uh, was in 2014 in a 3-0 win. Yeah. Steven Gerrard yeah. scored two penalties. You could do yeah. with a result like that, can you? Well, the time before that, we won at Old Trafford was in 2009, um, and we beat them 4-1. And the time before that, I think we won at Old Trafford was, oh, it may not be a 1-0-2, but we won then as well. The reason why I'm touching on those seasons is there are three most recent attempts at a tilt of the title. And on the whole, one of the reasons why Liverpool, oh, and we beat them in the Europa League or drew with them at Old Trafford in the Europa League, but it, it was enough to go through across the two legs. And on all of those occasions, Liverpool, I would argue, have been a better football team than Manchester United. And that's why I think we'll win this game, because I think we're a better football team than Manchester United. I think that was still in dispute around this time last season uh, when we went to Old Trafford. I think that this was a Liverpool side that was still finding its feet. But right now, it's a Liverpool side that sits top of the Premier League, uh, playing some fantastic stuff and has demonstrated over the course the campaign that they're the absolute business this is a really good Man United team they've got tons and tons of really good players but I expect Liverpool to stand up be counted play the football that we know they can and get the results because that tends to be what happens when Liverpool are better than Manchester United and right now Liverpool are a lot of points better than Manchester United Listen Ed would you swap a top four place for Liverpool not winning the title? (laughs) Love those ones you know I I think football's about trophies isn't it and uh, the the obsession with the top four is, is really just about money. And I, I, I know the Champions League is really important and it's the prestige competition, but why do clubs care about it? It's because of the revenue. So, uh, no, I'm not sure uh, we would do. I, I don't think United fans would have swapped winning the Europa League a couple of seasons ago for uh, placing the top four that season at, at all. So, you know, fortunately enough, I suppose the Europa League came with a Champions League place. So it's an odd dilemma. Um, I mean, to, to Neil's point about the game I mean clearly this is a Liverpool side that's uh, flying it's the best Liverpool side uh, in the last uh, 20 years or so I guess um, and uh, they're playing some great football I, I don't believe in the notion of bottlers there are pressure points uh, uh, in you know, at all clubs and uh, across all seasons and and form comes and goes you know so they've had some difficult games in recent times and dropped some points I think there'll be a few surprises in terms of um, how United play. So this is a team that's playing from the front. The amount of ball recoveries United are getting in the uh, opponents uh, attacking third is huge. Um, it's a complete change of system. So there's definitely a soft underbelly. You know, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure who playing the, at, at the back. Um, but you know, there's vulnerabilities there and Matic is a problem in defensive midfield. Um, so. Can't turn yeah, yeah, he can't. I mean, you know, he's a tanker, isn't he? He's a wardrobe. Um, yeah, it's and he's he's you know three years past his his best and and that's a problem for United, um, but in the system, uh, Oli has decided to focus on the strengths, which is focus on attacking football, focus on getting the ball as early as possible. 
from the opponent and and that'll be an interesting clash because it's definitely not what Mourinho was doing when he was United manager he was gonna he if, if Mourinho was still in charge of this game we'd be setting out in a very low block with with uh you know probably five at the back and two yeah. covering those uh, and it'd be a miserable um miserable afternoon might win one nil but it still wouldn't be a great game of football I think I have got a real hope that this is going to be a really good game of football as well I feel <sighs> a really good market a really good market is United's performance at Tottenham um where you know, De Gea is man of the match, but there's 30 minutes of the game where United are the better side. And in those 30 minutes, they scored the goal and they win the game. And he sprung, sprung a surprise that day, Solskjaer. And there's still not a lot of evidence for anyone's coaching staff to go on as to what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to do in big games and on big occasions. He's still got, there's still a few question marks around that. And I think Liverpool might find it a little difficult to read United before kickoff, whereas I suspect Solskjaer and his, his analysts could pick nine, if not ten, if not even eleven, a Liverpool start on eleven uh, after the Bayern Munich game, depending on who's fit. Question for you both boys, right. Uh, do you wear your colours when you go to an away derby game, or just your lucky pants, be honest? <laughs> I, don't wear, I never I never wear colours to go to the game. It stops you from having a good night out. What, you turn up naked? <laughs> no, I never wear colours. I wear clothes. Oh, Come on, pay attention. <laughs> it was that strong, strong accent. Have you got a message to your opposite number here? Keep it very clean. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 good luck. You know, good luck for the rest of the season. Just not too much luck. And, uh, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm in a positive mood, so I'm being, uh, really generous with this one. <laughs> I, I'm just so looking forward to this game that I, I can, I cannot tell you how much of a relief it is to have, uh, Ollie in charge and for this to be a good team again and for us to be actually playing nice football. Nothing will make me happier than going toe-to-toe next season with Manchester United when they try to win their 21st title and we try to win our 20th. Brilliant. <laughs> Lovely. Nice one, fellas. <laughs> thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Neil Atkinson, Ed Barker. Boys, thank you very much. Good luck. God, they need their stuff. Uh, Tom, Tom, you tell us, this is a huge rivalry, a huge game, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think based on that, Neil's won. Uh, I think that's one nil yeah. to Neil. I think we'll agree on that. Yeah. Um, Who are you rooting for this weekend? I grew up in Bath, so I'm a Man United fan. And, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I hope Man United win. But, but is there a part of you that wants Liverpool to win because it's Liverpool? Uh, there is a bit. It's quite romantic, isn't it? Yeah, the thing. it's the story. It's the Hollywood ending. I love the subplots as well. We've got a soul show trying to get a full-time contract. Liverpool haven't won the Premier League in so many years. I don't know if the hatred is still there. You know, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville used to have, love to have a bite at each other. Do the players really understand? I think Solskjaer will ensure that they certainly do. Um, for me, though, it's going to be really, really exciting. And I think Man United will just about edge it. But I think Liverpool might go on to win the Premier League. ESPN, head in the game. Tom, thank you very much. If you don't mind, stay with us. But for now, we're going to switch ball shape and talk about this weekend's other big game, Wales versus England. And with us is Jed Collypriest from the Attacking Scrum podcast and Dan Wood from the England Rugby Pod. Hello, boys. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Hi, boys. Jed, I have a question for you. Mm. Now, Jed, you are, I'm assuming you're wearing a Welsh top, so you're an England fan. (laughs) Um, Don't even joke about it. Yeah, (laughs) Why is there such intense rivalry between England and Wales? I mean, yeah, how long have you got? Putting aside the cultural rivalry and the the political history that would go back hundreds and hundreds of years, 
there is a fantastic rivalry on the pitch as well. And that, you know, you, you look back to the 70s and the great sides that the Welsh had then. I really feel in those days it, it was a proper way of, of the Welsh nation to express themselves was through, was through playing such fantastic rugby. You fast forward many years, England had lots of, lots of dominance. And now we find ourselves in a position where you've got two pretty well-matched sides over the course of the last 10 years. And would you say this, that's the biggest rivalry amongst the home nations? Yeah, I would, I, I guess, because, you know, because of my family and my upbringing, I would say that. But, you know, I, I'm sure if you asked, if you asked the Scottish, Scottish fans or <laughs> yeah, in the end, Ireland, likewise, yeah. you know, it's uh, you listen to the, the atmosphere at the at the Aviva the other week. And it's, it's very hard to argue with that as well. But from my point of view, certainly. And Jed, what does it mean to be England? Oh, it is everything. And there's a bit of a thing in Wales that people talk about kind of getting away from the mentality of as long as we beat the English, which was very prominent during the 90s when we had a, a pretty poor side uh, but for me particularly living in London it's just it's a gut-wrenching time for me the week before the game I, I, I struggle to enjoy it I, it's just I get so nervous yeah it is it's the it's the one fixture and I'm a fan of all sports yeah but it's the one thing that my stomach turns and I feel absolutely sick until the, the final whistle goes and if England win it it, it sticks with me for a, like some hideous hangover <laughs> Dan I'm going to switch the question over to you what does it feel like like to beat Wales? To beat Wales, so I love the Welsh people, I love the country. If Wales play football, I want to see Wales win. If Wales play rugby against anyone, I want to see them annihilated. To me, the England-Wales is the biggest game. I want to beat Wales more than I want to beat any other country. Unlike Jed, like, I, I kind of get what you mean, but actually I love that week. I love, I really embrace it, I really look forward to it. Probably because I'm not playing, so I don't have to deal with that <laughs> side of it, but... I, I love the build-up, just the ferocity of it. This year, Jed will disagree with me. I just think England are going to absolutely dominate in Cardiff. They're just so good right now. Uh, Wales, I've got, I've got massive respect for their team, for their coaches, but I just don't think they can live with England at the moment. Do you know why I love going to Twickenham? I love driving in there, pulling up my car, opening up the back and having a picnic. Cardinal Vaughan. <laughs> that's, that's my favourite bit. Why, is that, why is that not surprising? <laughs> yeah. Bet you wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> right, Jed. When, when they're represented, when the English players and Welsh players are representing the Lions, you, you cheer them on, though, don't you? Yeah, oh, that's guys. completely different. 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 100%. The Lions, I, I don't care what country you're from, you're part of the Lions. So yeah. I support them all equally. And that's the great thing about rugby, right, mm. is that, uh, yes, there's this huge rivalry, whether it's England-Wales, whatever it is, but you still have respect and you still have that kind of admiration towards players when they play together. You still sort of support them and like them if they're playing for Lions, which I really like. Let me go to you, Dan. What is your favourite win ever over Wales? It has to be 2003 uh, quarterfinal. Big. When uh, Wales started so strong, like Wales were not much of a team then, in fairness, but they started so strong and it was like, oh man, what's going on? Like, could we lose this? We're so good. And then the boys just came back. Johnny took it in his hands, dropped goal, just slowly went. I think Robinson carved them apart for Greenwood to score. Oh, that was, that was immense. And at the time, I didn't understand how bad it was. It's not till you hear the interviews afterwards where the English guys were saying at half time they're like this could be the worst scenario go out to wales when we're favorites to win the world cup it's so true jed what about you what is your favorite win over england um it'd be between two really so scott gibbs scoring the last minute at wembley in 1999 to deny the grand slam that felt very good but i think it's been overtaken by the win in cardiff in 2013 you know england coming into into town with the opportunity to to win a slam Wales then not only not only defeating England to deny them that, but 
giving them a pretty good hammering and taking the title as well. So, yeah, that that one's that one's the one that definitely sticks with me. What is it about Wales that makes England want to beat them so bad, Dan? What is it? So, so a lot of it, it's love hate. Like I don't by any means hate the Welsh. Like I love the Welsh, but sounds for, like you hate the Welsh. I hate Welsh rugby. <laughs> I hate the Welsh rugby. Why but is that? I don't know. It's sort of inbuilt. Like I say, if I watch them play football or any other sport, I'll support them as long as they're not playing England. Yeah. But when it comes to rugby, I think it's just because I know. So I do a podcast with my best mate. Every time England play, regardless of who we're playing, we will get Welsh people messaging telling us how rubbish England are. Yeah. I'm like, mate, we just took the French apart. You only just beat the Italians. What are you doing? <laughs> just, you know, focus on yourselves. And there's just that intense. It, it's good rivalry, though. It, it's like done in the right way, I think. Jed, what about you? What, what, makes, what makes the English, what makes you want to beat them so bad? Uh, yeah, I guess my hatred of English sporting teams extends to football as well. It does you know, it? Yeah, <laughs> God, this that whole it's coming home nonsense throughout the whole of last summer was driving me mad. It didn't even make any sense. Um, but I think it's all of these things that kind of fuel that just fuel that desire in you to want to see to want to see them kind of get done over. And it's yeah, it, for me, it, it is anyone but the English, whoever they're playing. Okay, so in that case, there are no circumstances. I'm thinking about you, Jed, <laughs> uh, in which you would support England. There's no other team which you would back England against. If England were playing a Saddam Hussein select <laughs> invitation 15 of all-round bad guys, I would I would still have to back the bad guys. Anyway. <laughs> but, Dan, you're the opposite, right? Because you, you no, 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 no. There's no team I would support the Welsh against. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, really? I, I, I massively respect the players, and I've got nothing... Like, some of the players, I think, are brilliant. I love watching play, but... Against the Saddam Hussein 15, give me some combats and give me a tash and Saddam, here we go. I <laughs> love that's the analogy yeah. that Jed has brought up we're now using yeah. it. To be fair, Saddam's got them playing some good rugby. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, uh, I mean, is it more, well, you mentioned the football just then and uh, you hated the coming home business and all that sort of jingoism. Is there a more gentlemanly rivalry uh, in rugby than football? A hundred percent, I think. I went to, uh, 2015, I went to England-Wales at Twickenham for the World Cup, where England were up and then Wales won. We were sitting next to some Welsh guys. We went, had a couple of beers afterwards. Oh, this is a surprise. Yeah, your banter. And, and that stung, that stung to lose at home, at your home World Cup. But I, I think it's done in the right way. Like, I passionately want the Welsh to lose, but... Yeah. I also passionately want to have a beer, so. <laughs> <laughs> but also, that's the other big thing, right? You rarely see fights at the rugby, don't you? Because um, mm. it's same kind of like boxing in a sense, because everyone's knocking seven bells out of themselves mm. on the pitch, that when everyone in the audience, they don't really fight, do they? No, not at all. I, I, I've never seen any problems at a rugby game. Actually, Jed, you look like a fighter. You turn, <laughs> you turn no, up with your knuckle duster no, in the crowd, no, don't you? No, I'm not a fighter at all. Um, I am a notorious loudmouth. And what that, do you shout? What uh, do you shout? Do you know, I, I don't, I don't know because it's it's always kind of in the heat of the moment. I'd like to think that the, the language isn't too blue, but um, you know, if there's, if there's, <laughs> why a, would it be blue? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Do you know? What? I was at a, I was at a rugby match once in South Africa, and it was South Africa versus I think it was a Tri Nations game against New Zealand. Everyone was shouting all these things at the players, and then one guy stood up and shouted something to the referee about his mum, yeah. and everyone turned around and went, oh, that's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. And that is a classic rugby kind of example. So self-pleased boundaries Who in the game. Who has got the best songs? I mean, there's Swing Low. It's the only one the English have. I, I, it's the I, only one England has. I can't see either of us going the other way. <laughs> no. 
Oh, you know, it's got to be the Welsh. 100% Wales. Of course it is. Of course it is. It's old Scotland. Flower of Scotland is Scottish, yeah. Flower of Scotland. But I feel like, that. yeah, that's the only problem, I think, that, you know, when I go to Twickenham and I listen to the, the chants, it's very much swing low and that's it. But I feel like the Welsh have more songs, Jed, no? Yeah, well, you know, potentially. I, I think the, the problem is is it has been getting a bit quieter even in Cardiff now. And again, I don't know if that's down to the pricing and your traditional rugby fan being kind of priced out a bit. It's definitely a bit quieter. Six Nations, I think it's different. I I think it is different for that. But certainly you look at the games in the autumn and and there's not the singing that there once was. And that that upsets me a bit. That is really sad. I mean, that's what Wales is known for. Mm. It's unbelievable. Uh, You know what, though? Both sides are unbeaten. Okay, it's now set up for the big decider, pretty much, isn't it? This is this is this is what it's going to be. Wales and England, whoever wins here is going to win the whole thing. Do you think? I think definitely. Yeah. What about um, you, Jed? Yeah, look, if England win this, they've they've got relatively speaking two easy games to to finish. So I think if England beat Wales, they will they will go on and they'll do the slam. Um, if Wales win it, I think we'll win the title, but not necessarily the Grand Slam because we've still got Ireland and Ireland at home and Scotland away. So I'm not quite as bullish about it, but. Right now, all I can think about is England game. All right, and if I was a betting man, okay, Dan, what's the score going to be? I don't know the score, but I think England by 12 or more. Really? England are playing so well at the moment. Wales have a good team, they've got good players, but they've been poor. I I don't know, Jed, I'm sure we'll disagree, but the first half against France was literally schoolboy stuff. Against Italy, they just weren't precise. If they do that against England, England will absolutely punish them. England are playing some really good rugby at the moment. I'm, of course, going to say that, but I think it reflects in the results as well. Fantastic. And, Jed, you, just last quickly. Uh, Wales 19, England 17. Thank you so much, boys, for coming in. Uh, Good luck this weekend to both of you. Don't fight on the way out, all right? (laughs) Appreciate it, boys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Jed. Tom, what are your thoughts on the clash? Well, those two teams go on rather well. Uh, look back at the 70s, Phil Bennett, um, in his pre-match speech, he highlighted all the things that, in his own words, England had done to the Welsh with a few more expletives, including the fact that English people buy holiday homes in Wales and only live there for two weeks a year. Um, so it got quite heated in that regard. Wales would go on and win. This was a golden era. In the sort of late 90s, early 1000s, it was more the fact that Wales were party poopers because uh, their team was inferior to England's there. But now, they're two really evenly matched teams. But in terms of rivalry, Warren Gatland bought Eddie Jones a curry just before the Six Nations. The two of them went up for a nice bottle of red. Um, so I think between them two, the rivalry's not really there. The players, they play on the lines every four years. Again, the rivalry's perhaps been a little bit diluted. Uh, but on the pitch, Eddie Jones will get his team fired up. Gatlin's going to get his team fired up. Expect a few yellow cards. Expect Carl Sinclair to continue chirping away in the scrum like he has been doing. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Tom Hamilton, thank you so much for coming in today, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, all. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. So here's where we get to exercise our rivalry again. It's time for the weekly quiz. Yes, it's the Head in the Game quiz. Ready, boys? Yes. yes. Round one, true or false? First question to Alex. Okay. True or false? When the Brooklyn Dodgers moved to California in 1957, owner Walter O'Malley convinced the New York Giants to do the same in order to continue their rivalry. Definitely true. You're right. The teams became the L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Thank you. Jamie, golfers Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus's rivalry was so intense, their caddies once had a food fight at an after-game buffet. Easy. False. Correct. One apiece. 
Alex, the Banjo Bowl, an annual CFL grudge match between bitter rivals the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, started because Troy Westwood of the Bombers called the Rough Riders banjo-picking inbreds in 2003. Definitely true. Correct. Jamie, a bubble match was the term coined to describe the friendly atmosphere at Liverpool and Everton derbies. Oh, false. It's false. It's oh. the term coined by the police to shun troublesome away fans around the country. Great. Mm-hmm. Round two. Genuine derby or figment of my imagination. Alex, Tricky Switches FC versus Monty Tiger. Absolutely false. That's right, it's a figment. Jamie, Asante Kotoko versus King Faisal Babes. Oh, it's got to be false. No, it's Mm, true. It's a huge derby in Ghana. Alex, East End Lions versus Mighty Blackpool. Uh, False. It's true. It's a big derby in Sierra Leone. Jamie. Turf Blasters Gold Star versus Chutney Flywings. A figment of your imagination. It is a figment of my imagination, but I pay to see that game in my back garden. <laughs> round three, final round. Multiple choice. Alex, in their professional bouts, how many rounds did Ali and Frazier fight in the ring? A, 144. B, 41. C, 12. Easy, 12. It's 41. Okay. Jamie, question two. Sepko and Steve Obert only raced each other six times. When they first met in the 1978 European Championships 800-metre final, who took the glory? A. Sepko. B. Steve Ovet. C. Olaf Bayer. Oh, it's got to be A. Sepko. No. What? It was Olaf, a total unknown, causing Ovet to say to Co after the race, who the f*** was that? Alex. Yes. Third question. At the height of the Cold War, Bobby Fischer from the United States took on the USSR's Boris Spassky at chess. Bobby came from a country of 35,000 chess players. How many people played chess across the Soviet Union at the time? A, 40,000. B, 400,000. C, 4 million. 4 million. That is correct. Final question to Jamie. It's all on this. Oh, come on. Come on. Snooker aces Ronnie O'Sullivan and Mark Selby have produced some classic encounters. But what was Rocket Ronnie's nickname for his never-say-die rival? A, the Selbinator. B, the Torturer. C, the Grinder. Oh, C, the Grinder. It's... The Torturer! Alex wins! I knew it. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Our voice, I thought we were friends. Ah, so that's all we have time for this week. Rivals for an episode, but we're all friends now. Of course we we are, whatever. Please subscribe and review if you haven't done already, and join us next week as we get padded up again for the NFL Combine. Until then, keep that head of yours in the game. ESPN, head in the game. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on there. Listen, what is your... What's your real name? <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Not your stage name, not when we're doing the show. What's your your real name in sort of real life? Jamie Lang. So this this persona you, you do here, that that's the real you? You're joking, aren't you? Well, you are, surely. 